From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, "For it, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But He turned and said to Peter, Get behind Me, Satan. You are a hindrance to Me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of the Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. When I entitled this sermon, Following Jesus, it's harder than you think and better than you can imagine. I had no idea uh, what the days ahead would be. And I'm reminded once again, life is and following Jesus is certainly often harder than we think. But the hope that God brings is most certainly, as we'll see in this text this morning, better than we can imagine. As Peter and Jesus get into a very uncomfortable and difficult conversation, I wonder if you can recall conversations like that in your own life. You ever have to go to the principal's office? Get told to go to your room and wait until dad or mom gets home? Or how about get an email? From your boss, we need to talk. Or maybe you've been on the other side of the equation. Either way, whether you've been that principal, mom or dad or boss, you know, I know, we get that pit in our stomach, the surprise or embarrassment of having to face the music or maybe mustering the courage to say what needs to be said. Hard conversations, they are hard because we hate conflict, don't we? They're hard because they confront what we're doing with what maybe we want to do. They're hard because we want to honor and succeed and not get it wrong. But hard because we have to be the one to have to share the hard truth to someone. Here at Faith, we share both the law and the gospel, the hard truth and the gospel promise that whatever broken state we're in, Jesus comes flooding in with his love and grace. But today, the hard truth is this following Jesus isn't easy. It's, it's often hard. Really hard. It's hard because life is hard. The best laid plans fail. 
or we fail to plan and then we fail. We mess up or the harsh world around us just smash us and slap us in the face. It's hard because like the Apostle Paul bemoans in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, I, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, oh, I just keep doing them. What a wretched man I am, he writes. But then he remembers quickly in Romans 8, thanks be to God for the free gift of grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, life is hard. It's hard because we don't want to suffer. It's hard because we want to be in charge. And often, we're not. In SURF, our confirmation group, I'm teaching the confirmands that Jesus invites us to pray in the Lord's Prayer as He teaches. And that first introduction, our Father, is an invitation to an intimate, close relationship with God. God is inviting us in. Our Father, our Abba, translated Daddy, a close relationship with God we're invited to have. It's quickly followed by the first petition that says, hallowed be your name. And so as we get invited in, we also hear the challenge of encountering a holy God who is God and we are not. Who is holy and without Him we are not. Jesus talks to Peter with that same kind of invitation and challenge. He talks to Peter this morning as we hear in the text with an encounter as we eavesdrop on it with Peter's hard pit of the stomach moment in this conversation. It comes on the heels, however, of what must have been one of Peter's greatest days of his life where he proclaims and confesses, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. He gets it right and Jesus affirms him and says, Peter, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. And he does. But just a few verses later, after this massive affirmation, this incredible invitation to lead, the bottom falls out. Has this ever happened to you? You think, I got this. And then the bottom falls out. You see, Jesus tells the disciples that they're going to Jerusalem. And He's going there to die. The disciples don't understand, obviously, who would. And they don't like it. And Peter affirmed and encourages the future rock of the church steps in. He doesn't remember and forgets his place that the invitation that God gives us is to be his children, not to be in charge. And then Jesus has this hard conversation with Peter. And he tells him, get behind me, Satan. I don't think I've used that in a sentence with someone yet. I'm not sure it would go over too well. But Jesus can and does, because of who He is and because of His relationship with Peter, tell him and tell Peter just what He's doing. And it literally means Satan, the enemy of God. 
Jesus is telling him to stop being the enemy of God and getting in the way of God's plan of salvation. You and I are told, and Peter is just figuring out that following Jesus is hard. Even unto death. And when he talks about a cross, those disciples know all about crosses. They have been under Roman occupation and they have seen those crosses get used. It's not figurative. They know what it means. And the call of Jesus at the beginning of their calling to come and taste and see that the Lord is good is a lot different now when He says, come and pick up your cross. But this is the same call that you and I get. From come and see with the grace of God to come and follow and pick up that cross. But it's noteworthy to say this as we dig into this cross-following business. That each time, as one commentator noted, that each time that Jesus mentions His passion prediction, each time He talks about the cross, the resurrection is mentioned. You see, it's harder than we think, but better than we can imagine. So much better than they could imagine the disciples make no mention of the resurrection and the narrative every time He brings it up. They only focus on the cross because they get that. Maybe this promise is so huge, so out of their frame of reference that they just don't know what to say when Jesus talks about being raised again. But here's the truth for you and I. With the historical reality of the resurrection girding us on the sure and certain hope of the resurrection is with us today. You see, the hope of the resurrection and the cross are always linked together. In Matthew's Gospel, the cross doesn't get mentioned without it. In fact, this rebuke of Peter by Jesus is Jesus actually loving Peter. Do you have people in your life, good Christian friends, who love you enough to tell you the truth? Not because they enjoy it, but because they love you. I ask my wife and kids all the time about my sermons. My daughters will honestly tell me whether or not it was, a, as they put it, a hostage situation or if the, ho- if the Holy Spirit was at work. <laughs> Sometimes it's both. (laughs) We need solid, godly friends and loved ones to speak God's truth into our lives. And most of all, we need God's Word speaking into our life. Jeremiah was lamenting to God for allowing so much failure. He was, he was boldly preaching the Word of God in Jeremiah 15 that Phil read for us today. He was proclaiming the promise of God faithfully. He was living out his faith in the one true God righteously. And yet, his hearers were not responding. The pews, figuratively, were empty. His whole life 
He never got to see the fruit of the work of his faithfulness to the one true God. And yet, he still knew, as we heard today, where his words are found, the Lord's words, he ate them. And his words, the Lord's words, became to him a joy and a delight of his heart. As Jeremiah writes, for I am called by your name. You and I are called by a God who tells us like it is, even when it's hard, but always connects that cross with the promise of the resurrection. And that promise is better than we can imagine. Sometimes we get glimpses of that as we experience joy. And other times, oftentimes, like Jeremiah, we just have to slug through. But when life is the most stressful, when we suffer or grieve, when the resources are low or empty, we don't suffer as those who have no hope. This promise is sure and certain. And then where are we called if we're called by God? Here's where it gets really good. That calling, that vocation, isn't shaped by you or me. The Christian doctrine of vocation approaches these issues in a completely different way. Instead of what job shall I choose or who will I become, we ask in our baptism, who has God made me to be? Who has God set before me? It's in vogue for us to uh, shape our own reality. But the truth is, we're not in charge like Peter found out. Our call is to follow. To follow wherever Jesus leads. And our vocation is the place, as Gustav Wingren, one of those scholars I read this summer says, is the place where we bear the cross. And so, as Jeremiah reminds us, we're called, and as Roman 12 teaches us today, we're called, Jesus says, to carry the cross. We carry that cross in our vocation. And where is that vocation? It's right where you are. God might be calling you out of your comfort zone to be a missionary in Zambia. He might be calling you to be a pastor. He might be leading you to go. But one thing I know for sure is that God is calling you to a vocation and a calling right now in your daily life. Right where you are. In the factory. In the office at school, in your home, in retirement, in your leisure, as husband, as wife, as sister or brother, as employer. employer. Wherever you are, you are called by God. I have many vocations, as do you. My family supports and affirms and this calling of being a pastor, but they still need me to be dad. I can get up early and go to pray at a hospital visit, but am I praying with my kids? We need to be faithful to all 
of the vocations that God has set before us. And if we want to be a church that grows in following Jesus, even when it's hard, even when people hate us for it, then we need to look no further than the place that God already has us. Shaped by God's call. Not my preference or desire. Not about who I decide who I am. It's God who created me that decides that. Jesus told Peter, as one commentator put it, in no uncertain terms, resume your role as a follower. I teach you, not the other way around. If we start with us and what the world thinks, then all we're going to do is get it wrong like Peter did. P.T. Forsyth said, if we start with the world, the church will lose its mission. But if we start with God, then the church cannot refrain from giving its life for the world. But in such dying, we live. And remember, with the cross comes the promise. So if your load is heavy this week, if life is hard, remember the unwavering hope that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has promised in baptism to be with you. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. And so when the storm comes, as it's coming now, we have a God who is with us. Start with God in your life this week. Like Jeremiah, let the Word shape you. Eat it. Let it be your joy and delight. And remember that when life is hard, when following Jesus is hard, and it will be, He is with us with the hope of the resurrection. With a hope that's greater than we can imagine. Remember, it's not how good you are. After all, Jesus doesn't need your good work in your vocation. Your neighbors do. And then it glorifies your Father in heaven. It's how good Jesus is in you. Jesus, as Ravi Zechariah said, didn't promise to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. Take up your cross and follow Jesus, and you will truly live. Amen.